Um, not just excited for Jim, man, because I've seen Josh grow up here and now he's visiting with us, but um, just the fact that we get to gather together on a Sunday morning, we uh, get to experience some, some fellowship with one another and communion in just a while. Um, but before we get to our text this morning, in uh, Revelation chapter 20, I need to let you know I, I, I kind of have some bad news for you. Um, the end of the world as we know it has come. As far as our text is concerned. <laughs> Where we're at in our text. I just wanted to scare you guys a little bit. It's like, what? It's like, no, we are in chapter 20. Um, you see, when we got into chapter 20 last week, we got half, halfway done last week, and, 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 and I let you know that as we got into chapter 20 of Revelation, um, things have now wound down. Things are now just about finished, if not finished, because we are done with the Great Tribulation. When we ended chapter 19, we were done with the Great Tribulation and the, 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 the battle of Armageddon has also passed. The beast and the false prophet that we have learned about in chapter 13 and on, well, they are safely tucked away in the lake of fire as we saw as well. So, what we saw last week, as, as we're finished with all of that, we, we, we began the chapter by, by, by it revealing to us that Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And all it took was some unnamed angel that had a key and some chains or a chain that would go and capture him, grasp, grab him, and put him into this bottomless pit and put a seal over it and he would not be able to mess around with the nations for a thousand years. In verse 3, though, it told us that he would only be there for a thousand years. And then he must be released for a little while. And we'll touch on that this morning. But from, from there, we moved into the millennial time. The thousand-year reign of Christ, as we kind of looked at, that will take place here on earth. And it will be a glorious, glorious time when Jesus sets up His kingdom here on earth. And those who have survived the Great Tribulation, and yes, there will be those who survive the Great Tribulation, both saved and unsaved, the Tribulation saints and those who ain't, and those will be the ones that live and populate in this, in this millennial time, in the thousand-year reign of Christ. We, we looked at a few verses in Isaiah to talk about that, that millennial time, but most of the other prophets in the Old Testament also speak about this kingdom age that will be coming. Most of them talk about the day of the Lord that would come one day and it will take place at the end of the Great Tribulation when Jesus comes back to set His kingdom up on earth. And so, it will look like it looked like in the beginning before sin entered in when there was harmony and peace and God walked among Adam and Eve. It will look like that before sin entered in. And there will be peace. And sin will be dealt with quickly. People will live longer, and the animal kingdom will live in harmony. And so we also learned last week that, that those who take part in the first resurrection will be priests of God and shall reign with Him, and judgment will be committed to them. And we also touched on the fact that, though, that there will be a resurrection for everybody. Everybody who has ever lived 
and has died will be resurrected somehow. And if you are part of the first resurrection, the second death will have no part or have no power over you. And so we'll touch on the second death a little bit more this morning. So let's just read the whole chapter, chapter 20 of Revelation. We covered from 1 to 6 last week, so we'll start from 7 to the end of the chapter. But verse 1 begins like this. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he, was ca- and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no, long, no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they... Uh, sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse 7. Now when... The thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever Then I saw a great white throne and him him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, we know that this is your word, Lord, and we believe every word that comes from your word, Lord. You hold your word above your name, and so we know that it is true, because you are faithful, and you are true, and there is no lie in you, Father. And so, Lord, as you sent us your word, you gave us your word, Lord, you've revealed to us your word. And Jesus, I pray that you would help me as I teach this portion of Scripture, to teach it with clarity and understanding. Help my brothers and sisters, Lord. And even those who are here this morning who may not be saved, Lord, to have ears to hear. Open their ears, Lord. That, Lord, your word would penetrate hearts. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go back to verse 7, 
where it says, now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now it's interesting because from verse 6 to verse 7, we have gone a thousand years. (laughs) Because our first study last week, as we began this chapter, it tells us that this thousand years was going to start and Satan was bound. And then we, you know, we finish off in verse 6, but when we get to verse 7, a thousand years have passed, which blows my mind in the sense that it took us 16 chapters to get through a seven-year tribulation period. <laughs> but isn't that the way it always goes? The sense that the good times seem to pass by so quickly and the trials and tribulations just seem to, to, to last forever. They just seem to linger. But it's interesting because he shows us this whole seven-year period of what is going to happen. And this thousand-year reign that will be vital and so important, the book of Revelation doesn't even really touch on it. It just mentions to us several times in in, in the first seven chapters, there's six times it's told us that there's a thousand year uh, reign coming or something that will happen in this thousand year. Now we did look into the Old Testament and the Old Testament has a lot to say about the the millennial time that will come. But the book of Revelation, from one chapter, from one verse to the next, is like, we're done. We're done with the thousand years. We're moving on now. Huh. But it tells us in this verse that after those thousand years have expired, after it's done, after you've reached to that point, Satan will be released from his prison. But we learned in verse 3 that it is for a little while, for a short time. But why? (laughs) Why? Why would he be released? After so long being put in this prison and, and, and everything has gone so good without him because Jesus is ruling and reigning, why in the world would he be let out? I'll get to that. I have a thought on that. (laughs) But can you imagine for this thousand year reign that we are being ruled and reigned by Christ here on earth. Can you imagine Satan in this prison locked up like a caged lion? And I picture, you know, just walking around and, and knowing what the scriptures say, knowing that he will be released. He understands that. But he's walking around like this caged lion because he knows what the scriptures say that he will be released for a short time. But he also knows the end of that short time and what awaits him. He understands that. But he needs to get back to work. (laughs) And he will come back to deceive the nations. And you're going, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. But you see, he will be like some, and I say some, he will be like some of those who who get out of prison and they go back to the very same thing that got them in prison in the first place. Because that's all they know. And he will go back to what he knows and what he does best. He has been a deceiver from the very beginning. And he will go back and come back to deceive to the very end because that's who he is. He is a deceiver. I'm sure that as Satan has had time to think, not just of his future, but also of his past, he will be madder than ever. And he will come out of that prison Wanting vengeance on God once again. I'm sure in his thoughts, he, he knows that he has failed at everything at every turn. He knows 
the powers that are afforded to him. And he does not have ultimate power, as some people think that he does. He is a created being. But he has enough power to deceive. He knows that he is a loser. He understands that. But you see, he has nothing to lose. Because he knows his end. And his heart, if he has a heart, is to deceive as many as he possibly can. To keep away from God and, and, and be in hell with him for all of eternity. He understands his end and he has nothing to lose. <clears throat> he has succeeded and will continue to succeed in dragging people down with him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so again, that's why I could picture him as a caged lion and wanting to get out so he can deceive once again because he knows his, his end. And understand this, he is not done even today. Oh, he has those who will be dragged down to hell with him that he has deceived and they are so blinded to the truth that they will die in their sin. But even for the Christian, he roams around seeking whom he may devour. Oh, he'll let you go to, to heaven in that sense. But if he can make you ineffective for the kingdom, then he will do whatever he can to discourage and lie and deceive you. So be on guard. In verse 8, it says, And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Then he went, <clears throat> then, no, they went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Going back to the question of why, <laughs> why would he be let out? I, I, I believe, and this is just my thought, I believe that he is let out so that those who, who lived through the millennial time under the rule of Jesus will have a choice to choose still. I don't understand that. I don't understand that those who may have made it through the tribulation are now in the in, in, in the millennial time and, and, and for a thousand years they live under the rule of Christ that they will still choose not to be under his rule for all, all eternity. As I shared at the beginning of our study here, those who have survived it, they will be the ones that populate in that millennial time. The tribulation saints and those who, who, who have never accepted Jesus will enter into this time. And so sin will be present during the millennial time. But it will be dealt with quickly. And I don't know to what extreme or what extent, except that we are told in verse 6 that, that we, those who are with Christ, who come back with him for Armageddon, who are ruling and reigning with him, will be placed in places of judgment. So I don't know to what extent. I'm not even going to speculate on that point, point except for the fact that, that, that there will be righteousness because Jesus will be there. But the judgments that will come, that, that are dealt with, will be in, in, in righteousness and in truth. It will be pure, the righteousness. Now, outwardly, the people may and will comply with the rule and reign of Christ because He is and will be the perfect ruler. But you see, they will have no one else to blame but themselves. 
No one at that time will be able to say, the devil made me do it. <laughs> no one will be able to say that. They will not be able to blame their environment. Because I know even today, people say, well, if we just change people's environment, they wouldn't do what they, they do. Well, we see here that people will be in the perfect environment. And yet, they will choose to not live with Christ forever. And so they can't blame anybody else. They can't blame, they can't blame Satan, and they can't even blame their environment. What this will show is their heart. And their heart, man's heart, will be desperately wicked still. And I truly believe that is why he is released for a time so people won't ever be forced to go to heaven if they don't want to be in heaven. They cannot say, I didn't want to be here, but I have to be here in heaven. No, everybody has the choice. So, it will be only them to blame. They will have only themselves to blame. They have been given the opportunity, once again, between good and evil. And they choose evil still. Again, I can't even fathom that. Knowing what I know about Christ. Knowing about His grace and His goodness. His love. His mercy. The fact that he rules with righteousness. When, when, when we were reading through Isaiah and, and looking at that whole kingdom of how everything will live in harmony, why would you still? <laughs> and so it's hard to imagine that, to fathom that with so much peace and righteousness. And yet it says many will be deceived. And I don't think Satan will have to work that hard at it. Although, he is a good deceiver. Because it blows my mind. After all this time, he shows up and he is able to deceive the nations. Because it says that it will be innumerable. <laughs> As the sand of the sea, many will be deceived still. He is good at what he does. <laughs> And it shares with us in verse 8 that Gog and Magog will, 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 will somehow be together there. Now, it's a reference to the powers north of, of, of Europe, which is, is, is Russia area. And Gog is probably the, the prince figure, and, and Magog would be the land or the people of that place. But more than likely, the reference here is is, is symbolic because they've already been dealt with. We, we, we see them in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, and how they come against Israel towards the end times. And they are mentioned as coming against Israel at the time, but here it mentions that they come against the beloved city, which is more than likely Jerusalem where Christ will rule and reign. And so I believe that the inference here to Gog and Magog is purely symbolic. Satan does get himself some takers to fight against God. And if you haven't figured it out yet, Satan is not that smart. He's already lost. He's lost Throughout, I mean, he thought he actually won when he crucified Christ. He really thought he had gotten rid of the Messiah. And three days later, he was defeated. He comes against the church, and yet Jesus says that, that the, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, but he, he continues. He, he knows that Christ will come, day, come back one day, and so he continues to lose and to lose, but he comes back for a little time, and he still deceives people, and to him, it's a winning thing, but for, for in reality, he, he's lost it all. He continues to lose it all. But he gains this, this new army against the saints. He, he, they come against the saints. 
the saints that, that, that have made it through the millennial time. But it won't be much of a battle once again as we see at the end of verse 9 where it says, And fire came down from heaven, or from God, out of heaven and devoured them. Once again, it will be that quick. It's not going to be much of a fight as they gather together, just like we saw in the Valley of Megiddo, that the armies come to fight against God, and with the the word of his mouth, he devours everything. And so we see that once again, fire is used to devour. And then in verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This verse tells us that the devil will finally be dealt with. It tells us in in Genesis, when he deceived Eve and Adam partook, he said that that one day (laughs) the heel of him who comes from the woman would put his his head or his heel upon his head and bruise his head. And this is his final end right here. Jesus wins in the end. He will always win. Because that's who he is. But it says that he is cast into the lake of fire. And we'll see that even a little bit more at the end. But look at who is still there and has been there for a thousand years. The beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist, if you will. They had been thrown into the lake of fire back in chapter 19, verse 20. And for a thousand years, they have been there and they have been tormented day and night. And now Satan is thrown in there with them. And I think I shared with, it, with you last week how many people think that Satan or the devil will be the one that rules and reigns in, in heaven, and he is not the ruler of heaven. He doesn't even have a key to, or, or to, to hell. He doesn't even have a key to hell. He will be the most tormented of all in hell. The Bible says that, G, that, that God made hell for the devil and his angels. And so he will be the most tormented. Oh, we shared last week how he is the prince and the power, uh, the power of the air. He is the ruler of this world, but he is not the ruler of hell. And he will be tormented day and night, along with the false prophet and the beast. And it's not just forever, it's forever and ever. The ages to the ages. And then in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works their works by the things which are written in the books. What the Apostle John has seen here is he has seen so much in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He finally sees this great white throne and it's different than the throne that he saw in chapter 4. When he, when he went into the heavens or heaven where God dwells where there was a throne and there was a rainbow and a sea of of crystal around and all those things. Now he sees a great white throne. Now, this is not court to where people can come and state their case. It's nothing like that at all. This is a time for sentencing. Nobody will be able at this time... (laughs) to plead their case. And nobody at this time will think of even giving God a piece of their mind. Because you often hear that, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell... It's like, you will not be able to do that. This is the place and the time where every knee will bow. Every knee. 
Every knee will bow before the throne, the great white throne. This is the final judgment. Jesus will be the judge that sits on the great white throne. John chapter 5, verse 22. It says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. The one who was rejected by man. The one who was mocked by man is the one that will judge man. All of mankind. Jesus. He is the righteous judge. He is the true judge. From whose face, it says, the earth and the heaven fled away. And so this great white throne will not take place on earth, it, nor will it take place in heaven <laughs> because it says that they fled away from him who sits on the throne. This is judgment. <laughs> so where is this going to take place? Now, is it quite possible that it takes place in one of those black holes out there? I don't know. <laughs> the vastness of our universe. I don't know where this takes place except for the fact that it's not on earth and it's not in heaven that we have been seen throughout all of Revelation. Because what we see in the next chapter is everything becomes new. Everything. A new heaven, a new earth. Everything. So everything is done away. The end of the world as we know it will come. <laughs> and man has not made that happen in any way, shape, or form. No, they all flee <laughs> from the, the one who sits on the throne. But it says, And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, or in some translations, before the throne. In other words, the dead are very much alive. Very much alive. They are being judged. They are standing before their maker. Man who was made in the image of God will stand before their maker. Every one of them. Everybody that you could ever think of throughout history, small and great, good and evil, will be there. No one will be too busy <laughs> to not show up. No one will be too important to send their assistant to take care of this matter. No. <laughs> no one will be able to do that. What an amazing picture we have of the sea of man from the, from the very first man to the very last man will stand before the great white throne. And I find it ironic that those who have always rejected Christ or those who have fought against Him that He does not even exist <laughs> will one day bow their knee See, we have the privilege today to bow our knee willingly before the throne of God. But before the great white throne, everybody will knee, whether you want to or not. There will be no exceptions. You will not be too, too big or too small. Everybody will be alike. All will stand before him. And some, I know, wonder whether the Christian will stand there or not. But it really doesn't matter if we're part of that whole thing or not. We actually know the one who sits on the throne. <laughs> and if, if, if we are all part of the great white throne judgment, if you are a believer and he is your Lord and Savior, you will bow to him because you know who he is. And he will say, oh, you're mine. You are in the book of life. but anyone not found in the book of life. And what a sad statement. We'll be judged by the books that were opened. Whether these are the books of the law, they are judged by the things that are written in those books. Whether it's the things that man has, has done or not done, 
their works, whatever those two books are, or whatever books, whether it might be more than one book, more than two books, they will be judged by the things that are written in them. Again, I don't know what are in these books. If it, if it is a law, you will be judged on the law, and I can guarantee you this, the law brings death. So if you claim, I will live by the law, Galatians tells us that the law brings death. And it's a schoolmaster. It could only bring us so far, and then Jesus takes over. Whichever is the case, whether we stand before him or not in that great white throne, it will not end well for those whose names are not written in the book of life. These that, that, whose names are not written in the book of life, these are the ones that did not take part in the first resurrection. This is, this is the ones that will be sent to their second death. As I shared with you last week about that saying that I've heard forever in my Christian walk, be born twice, die once. Be born once, you will die twice. And those whose names are not written in the book of life, will enter into the second death. So the question is, for you who are here this morning, do you know if your name is written in the book of life? As the books are opened on that day, will you be waiting there to see which, which book you will be in? And it's like, man, if you wait to that point and you're still not sure, it's not going to end well. Because we have the assurance today that those who come to Christ, He will in no way cast out. You, you, you want assurance that your name is written in the book of life? The Word says that as many as come to Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. And you're assured. Oh, the, the enemy will, will lie to you and say you're not, but you know what you've done in your heart and in your life. You see, we can be sure if our name is written in the book of life. Again, if we choose Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And no one is even promised tomorrow. I like what 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2 says. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. It says, behold, now is the acceptable, acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You are not promised tomorrow. None of us are. But if we receive him, if we cry out to him, it is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. When the 70 came back, when Jesus had sent out the 70, they came back to tell him all that they were able to do. And Jesus said this to them in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. He says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In the books. <laughs> your name is written in heaven. And so as these books are opened, everything will be revealed. However, it, it, it's played out. I don't know. And all will be laid out. And everything that has been done will be there. Now, the Christian's sins has already been judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the only real judgment that we will have to go through is the judgment seat of Christ, which is more of a, a reward ceremony than anything else. Because if our name is written in the book of life, for the Christian, that means life eternal. There is no second death or the lake of fire for the Christian. In verses 13 to 15, says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it, in them. 
And they were judged, everyone according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Man. What an interesting verse, verse 13 is. Telling us, basically, that, 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 that the sea, that death itself and Hades deliver up the dead. Now, it is quite possible this is where the final resurrection takes place at the last day. You see, Jesus made several references to the last day. In John chapter 6, and Martha... Lazarus's sister made mention concerning her brother about the last day in, in, in John chapter 11. Now let me read to you from chapter 6, John chapter 6, three different times that, or four different times that Jesus referred to the last day. In, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse four, uh, 39 and 40, it says, This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but shall or should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that ev everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may, be, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father has sent me, uh, the, the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And in verse 54 of that same chapter, it says, Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. And in John chapter 11, verses 13, or 23 and 24, it says, Jesus said to her, speaking to Martha. Your brother shall rise again or will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so could it be, is it possible that as we are coming to a close here in this chapter, before we get into the new heaven and the new earth, that this is the last day? And everybody <laughs> has now been resurrected. Everybody has been judged. Everybody, believer or non-believer, however it works, is now joined somewhere. And judgment has taken place on the last day. Now, it says that the sea gave up the dead. And that death gave up the dead, and Hades gave up the dead. Now, the word Hades is often associated with the word Gehenna. And it's taken from the Hebrew word Hinnom, Hinnom, which is the valley of Hinnom, which is on the south side of, of Jerusalem, and it's a deep, narrow glen that, 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 that is right to the south of that that area, and it is where in the Old Testament, oftentimes, people and even Jews sacrificed their children to Molech there. It renders it the valley of the son of Hinnom, or Ben-Hinnom. Now, in the New Testament, the word Gehenna was used by Jesus several times, referring to hell. And Jesus says of it that, that it, was, it was a warning of the consequences of sin. And he describes it as the place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. It was basically a dumping ground, the, that valley of, of Hemon, where, where people would even dump their dead. And there was always a smoldering fire going on and a stench that was there. Now, this never-quenching fire, this Gehenna, is identical in the meaning to the lake of fire. 
in these verses. And the phrase, the second death, and the lake of fire are identical terms that are used for a state of the wicked and an eternal state of eternal death, i.e. separation from God. And most believe that that will be the ultimate in torture, the fact that they are separated from God for all eternity. Wow. <laughs> Sober. Now this Gehenna, this second death, this lake of fire, does not mean annihilation. It does not. As we have seen, the beast and the false prophet have been there for a thousand years. And they continue to be tormented day and night. We see that Satan will be cast there. And we see that those whose names are not written in the book of life will be there. And they will be tormented forever. In Revelation 20, 15, in the Amplified, says, And if anyone's name is not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of fire. And even this morning, as I was looking it over once again, I'm going, man, this is a sad verse. And this is a somber study <laughs> for us. But it's reality. You know, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, you know, we can't change the past, what's already happened. But God has given us His Word. He has given us His Word. He has revealed the future to us through His Word. Once again, we, we, we are covering it once again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it says. And He came and He died for our sins so that we can repent and have eternal life. You see, Jesus' resurrection proved to us that He was God, that He had power over sin and death. And because of that, we have eternal life. We, we will be part of those who believe a part of the first resurrection so that the second death will have no power over us. Now, again, as I finish off this morning, we're going to spend time in communion. And it just, again, it reveals to me that Jesus has done everything so that we can repent and have our names written in the book of life. And I know many of you have. You, you, you've gotten to that point. And so when you receive communion, it reminds you of the finished work of Jesus. Oh, you could go back and remember the things that happened to him that day where, where he began to be beaten by creation itself, by, by man. And he was crucified. And the blood flowed, but that blood was not just because he was dying, it was being shed for our sin. To forgive us of our sin. Not just cover our sin, but to forgive us of our sin. And so this morning, as it's kind of a somber study, as we see the, the end of the world as we know it, yet on the cross, if you remember, I'm sure the disciples as they're looking, they're going... This is the end. This is it. Our Savior, the one who came, is dying on the cross. But guess what happened three days later? They saw the resurrected Christ. And they were never the same after that. Most of you have encountered the resurrected Christ and you've not been the same. And you get to enjoy this communion, this fellowship, this intimacy with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus in your life, this means nothing to you. It might just be a fairy tale to you. But I'll tell you what, man, you receive him into your heart. It changes you. Because you will encounter the resurrected Christ. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to play some songs, sing some worship songs. At least three, I think, right? 
And for the two songs in between, we get to come up and we get to partake. And you can take it back to your seat. You can kneel down right here if you need to. You can sit on the corner somewhere by yourself or go grab your kids and have fellowship and communion with Jesus and the whole family or the friends that you're sitting next to. Commune with them and have this intimate time. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you need to come to know Him. And so let's pray. And then we'll get on to our communion time. Father in heaven, what a blessing, Lord, to be able to look to you, Lord. You have given us your word, and you hold your word above your name. So we know it is true. It is faithful. It will endure forever. And you have revealed to us once again how this whole thing will end. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that, Lord, as they contemplate all that you've done for them, and as we remember the cross this morning, we remember the finished work of Jesus. And because of that, we have eternal life. Lord, as we remember all that you went through, Lord, that we would understand that it was all for us, Lord, so that we can have eternal life. But Father, I pray for those who may be in this room this morning who have never really committed their lives to you, Lord. Who, who, who really have never come to know Jesus Christ. They've heard about him. But they've never asked you to forgive them of their sin. Lord, Lord this morning, they need to receive Christ in their heart. And I pray that your spirit would just tug on them even right now. And that they would repent even where they're sitting that they would turn away from their sin and towards you, Jesus. I just want to ask, if you're here this morning and you, you know you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus in that way, but you've heard what it's going to end like, if you're here this morning, wherever you're seated right now, right now just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you right where you're at so that when you come and take communion, it means something to you. So is there anyone this morning here who would receive Christ into their life because he died for your sins? Anybody? Hmm. Father, I thank you, Lord, for those who are in this room right now. As, Father, as they enjoy this communion time, that, Lord, it would just draw them into a place of worship, of honor, and glory for who you are and for what you have done in their life. Thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.